Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Um, Cool. Well, we are in a series at the moment um, on 1 John, uh, where we're looking at uh, love and light. Um, So we're kind of working through the book of 1 John. Um, John Hodges started last week and um, we'll be uh, looking at it over the next five weeks, including that one. And um, I want to apologize because I have prepared zero slides for today. So, uh, and we are going to read quite a bit of scripture. So feel free (laughs) to be on your phone. Um, But we're going to be in in 1 John 2 primarily. And um, yeah, just uh, really feel um, like, yeah, God's going to pull out what he wants to highlight to us this morning. And so um, just to kind of set up a bit of context for you. um, So 1 John as a book, uh, it was a letter, and it um, it was written by a guy called John. There's different schools of thought over which John it was. Um, Eugene Peterson thinks it was the same guy that uh, did the Gospels and Revelation, and I think Eugene Peterson's cool, so uh, I'll, I'll go with that. Um, but in, <laughs> it, it does matter, but for, this, for what we're talking about this morning, it, it's not a huge deal. Um, the thing that I really want to emphasize is that um, this was a pastoral letter in a pastoral crisis. So um, John, whoever it was who wrote it, um, he, the John it was, the John we do know it was, <laughs> it's joining the Johns is the tricky bit. Uh, he was a pastor and he was a pastor of um, numerous uh, like house church communities. And um, he was writing this letter to them as their pastor. So he was recognizing that even though he wasn't there with them physically, there was still a sense of um, responsibility that he had towards them. And uh, he kind of wanted to reach out and and speak into them. And the thing that was going on in particular, the pastoral crisis, um, was there was this group of troublemakers. Um, John himself calls them antichrists which is a bit of a harsher term. But there was this group of people that had were once in the community uh, and had left the community and were kind of, had come back to sort of stir up trouble. And to, um, I don't quite know exactly what that is, um, but basically there was this, uh, yeah, there were these people, these interlopers, as I read it in a commentary this week, that kind of were coming back and were basically trying to stir up trouble. And so John is writing this letter um, to speak into that and to um, remind them about what is true and actually to speak specifically into um, some of the things that were going on. And the, the thing that I think is really interesting is that this whole idea of um, the word becoming flesh. So when you think about, um, think about, you know, I think John mentioned it last week. So when we read the start of the Gospel of John, when, uh, where uh, John links what was happening in creation with the person of Jesus. You know, the word that was at the beginning, the word that um, ushered forth from God's mouth that brought order, that, um, that created, actually that word was made human, was made flesh in the person of Jesus, um, which is huge. And because of that, then Jesus can be the representation of the Father, that he can, um, he can live the life that he lived, he can teach what he taught us, he can show us the way back to the Father, he can die for our sins and be resurrected again. Like That only works if the word becomes flesh. And why that's interesting is because there are so many words around us in our lives. 
there's so much like idea and concept and talk and discussion and people on microphones and people on the internet and all that kind of stuff. But actually what counts is when it becomes flesh, when it becomes real. So what John was doing when he wrote this letter was he was making real the fact that he had been with he had seen Jesus and that mattered. And so he needed to speak into the real situation of these guys' lives and be like, this stuff matters. This is not just ideas that we're batting around. This isn't just a debate club. This stuff is real. And so there's stuff that we can learn from that as we, as we look into that situation. But it's also the same is true for us today. Like actually, if God's word is alive, if it is living and active, and if it's promised that when it's released, it will never return void, there is stuff to be made flesh today. And it's to be made in, in our flesh, both as individuals and corporately. And so I, I just wanted to flag that up so that... Um, yeah, we can listen to a nice talk and, and hopefully it's interesting and hopefully you get some stuff out of it. But actually what really matters is that the word is made flesh in you and it's made real. So whatever, whatever that looks like for you, just um, open up your spirit to receive that and consider, okay, what is God speaking into me and into my situation right here, right now? So um, yeah, we're in chapter two and there's kind of, two main sort of thrusts that were kind of that I feel like John has um, the first is that he kind of uh, he speaks into what is true he's kind of reminding uh, reminding the, the guys in this church um, what is true what is good what is right and then um, then he goes on to speak into a couple of threats like these, these are two ways that actually there's a threat coming to you as, as a fellowship and I love that it's that way round because so often it can feel like we're on the back foot and that actually, you know, um, something happens around us and then okay, we're like, well, let's, let's go and work it out and let's respond. And like, how do we react? But I love that. Um, so it's like God's already won. And so it's like, it's not like, okay, this thing that's here is surprising me. And so now I need to find a solution for it. Like he's already won. Like he's already overcome. He's already victorious. And so actually the most important thing is we remember who Jesus is. Remember what he said to us. Remember what it means to live like him. And actually, um, we engage with what's around us from that level rather than actually sort of reacting to it. And so um, I love that it's that way around. But before we, um, before we read where we're going to read, which is going to start in verse 3, uh, I just wanted to quickly reference back to what John shared last week. And it was brilliant. And it's just the bit from chapter 1. And I've kind of uh, summed it up as the glorious baseline. So actually, as we look at the stuff today, let's remember the glorious baseline where we all start from. And that was the idea that God is light. God is light. In him, in God, there is no darkness. There is no sin. God is light. Um, we are not perfect. And actually, um, John tells us, if we try and convince ourselves that we are, that just proves that we're not. So God is in light. God is light. There's no darkness in him. There is darkness in us. But Jesus has made atonement for that. Jesus has paid the penalty for that. Jesus has made a way for us to come back into relationship with God so that actually we can walk into his light and actually be transformed by that to become more and more like him. But there's a key doorway that we need to go through to get to that, and it's confession. And that's where John landed last week, which was 
really, really helpful. And I would encourage you to go back and look at it if you didn't hear it already. But actually, in order to step into that light, in order to step into the life that God's got for us, we need to, we need to be real. We need to be real with where we are, with um, where our heart is, what we're doing, and actually confess that to God and confess that to one another. Because it's only through that that we can actually access that um, grace and forgiveness that Jesus has. So that's the, glory, the glorious baseline. And, um, and then, yeah, we start to hear, like, um, John encouraging them. Sorry. Uh, what is true? And the sort of, the kind of overarching idea here is that the way that we, the way that we live our lives will actually correlate to our knowledge of God. That actually, if, if we do know God, then it's going to look like something. There's going to be fruit in our lives that shows up as a result. And that's a key theme. So um, we're going to pick up in verse 3, if you want to read along. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, that is Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so the idea is, here is that um, if we know God, we're going to follow him. Actually, we'll, we will be obedient to what he says. And it, it's really easy to get muddled up here And when we're thinking, okay, well, does that mean I have to, in order to know God, I have to be obedient? Well, no, because we've just realized that if we, there is darkness in us, there is, we get stuff wrong, we mess up. And actually, if we pretend that we don't, then that shows that there is, like if we're proud and conceited. Um, but it's that recognition that it, it is going to look like something. It is going to overflow into how we live. And that um, it's kind of all the stuff we're looking at in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the idea that there's, there's fruit in our lives. We become the kind of people that follow the commands of God. And it's not that we get it put right all the time. It's, you know, we, we mess up along the way and all that stuff. It, you know, we're humans, but it's real. But there is a direction of travel that is towards the things of God that says, yes, this is, this is the kind of stuff that I want my life to look like. And um, he goes on even further in uh, verse 7 and kind of it's a bit more specific. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so... uh, he, in the first three verses, John was talking about just obedience to Jesus' commands. And then in this, this little section, he's talking about how that shows up in how we love one another. And for me, that just makes perfect sense. Because if you think about the great commandment that Jesus gave in Matthew 22, which was love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like ultimately, that's, these things are the biggest litmus test of where we're at with God. Like, are we following what he said? 
And how, how is our heart towards our brothers and our sisters? And um, it's really easy on face value just to be like, yeah, cool. Yeah, I know that. I know, I know I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to love other people and, and be nice. Um, but I think it's the recognition that love, um, love is a real thing. It's not this abstract concept. Coming back to the idea of the word becoming flesh. Like actually, um, love for people is a dynamic thing that ebbs and flows. And actually, um, depending on what side of bed we got out this morning, whether I've had breakfast or not, you know, all, all sorts of other factors like come into how we relate to one another. We can have an abstract idea of, yes, you know, I love my brothers and sisters. But actually, in reality, what does that look like? In the same way that we can have this abstract idea of, yeah, God's, God's way is the right way. But then actually, okay, what does he say about this? What did Jesus say about that? Or what, is, what has he spoken to me over here? That actually specifically, what does this look like for me to follow these things? And so um, even if you just kind of like look quickly at 1 Corinthians 13, you know, like, are you, are you patient and kind towards people? Do you, are you envious? Are you boasting over them? Are you arrogant towards others? Are you rude? Are you insisting on your own way? Are you irritable? Are you resentful? Are you happy when people get things wrong? Like, there's loads of different things that love looks like. And so I think it's really important that we actually be aware of where we're at. Not in a way that condemns us and be like, oh, no, I've got it wrong, therefore I can't really know God. But actually, I got it wrong and I and I want to change that. Because the goal isn't perfection. The goal isn't we do everything right, we love people really well, and then God will let us into heaven at the end. It's like we know God, and in knowing God, we want to become like him. And so that sets a direction of travel that looks like we want to become the kind of people who follow what he says and love people the way that he calls us to love. It's, um, it's like I want to do that. I want to follow you, God. I want to love my brothers and sisters. Or maybe even a step further back, like, I want to want to follow you. I want to want to love my brothers and sisters. I want to want to do this better. I want to stop flipping out when Seth doesn't go to sleep till nine o'clock. Or this person sends me that annoying email. Like, these real things, like, what's going on in our heart? Because I want to want to for love to be the thing there. And coming back to that, um, to the bit in verse, I've said it a few times already, but in chapter one where it says, if we tell ourselves there's no darkness, that we deceive ourselves. I think in our desire to do this thing called Christianity really well, we can create this, like, almost like this ego, which says we have to be this kind of person. We, we have to create this sort of image to ourselves and to the people around us that we're, that we're doing really well, that we're you know, really loving, getting all right. And, and I think that comes from a good place. But the thing that's hard is that we, of all people, should be the most equipped to be real with each other and to really embrace our humanity because we're not trying to pretend that we've got it all together. Our value isn't found in the fact that we can perform in a certain way or do a certain thing. 
Our value is found in the fact that God made us. He said that he loved us. and He sent his son to die for us so that we could be together with him. And so we of all people should have all the tools to talk about stuff. Because it, cause what, is a, what is at stake for others, maybe in terms of reputation or purpose or meaning, all those kind of things, all those things are settled. And actually, I think we can sort of um, unintentionally hold one another back by kind of having this unspoken expectation of perfection. So that actually when you're like, oh, you know what, I was really bitter with you, and I'm sorry. It feels really high stakes to say that, because you're like, well, what are you going to think of me? Well, actually, I'm going to think you're amazing if you do that, because you're being real, and you're talking to me, and I'm experiencing the real you, and I can see you, and I love you, and that makes us more connected. Like we, like, and so much stuff can just appear in the, in the space. Of just that unspoken thing of like doing, you know, like creating this image of perfect living. And it's hard to read this because she's like, well, if I don't obey commands, do I even know God? Like, what does that mean? Like, sure, like, but the conditions there aren't like, if you're perfect, you will know God. It's actually just the fruit of your life will kind of just correlate with whether you are in touch with God. Because if you are, even if you're getting stuff wrong, if your direction of travel is towards God, I want to want you. I want to be the kind of person that you want me to be. Then he loves that. And we can love each other better because we're seeing the real people, not some sort of fabricated image. I'm going to, um, I'm going to skip verses 12 to 14 and then um, come back to them at the end. But um, from verse 15, we... Uh, John sort of changes tack and um, starts to speak specifically into the, the threat that's coming against the community. But um, I just want to read seven and eight again, just to kind of help set us up. Uh, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Uh, so it feels a little confusing. He's like, oh, I've got an old commandment, but also a new commandment. Um, which one is it? And I think the, the key thing about the old is that what John's saying, and he said this at the start of chapter one, he's like, this is what we've seen from Jesus. This is what we've heard, what we've tasted and experienced ourselves. This is what, excuse me, this is what is true. And actually, the, the commands that we are giving you, then no one's making anything new up. Like, this is what Jesus told us from the beginning. This is Jesus who, um, who said, like, uh, he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. None of that stuff goes away, but it's fulfilled in Jesus. So the way that God has revealed himself to humanity from the, from the beginning throughout time is the same. It's like, this, the commands that I'm giving you in this letter, they're not new. Like, they came from the word of, words of the uh, mouth of Jesus, um, You've had them from the beginning. Um, the newness that we see in verse 8 isn't so much about the commands. It's about the fact that in Jesus, we saw the Father. In Jesus, we see the perfect representation of God. And because of his death and resurrection, that can now be made real in us. So that the newness that is happening is that the light is overcoming the darkness. To use the language of Revelation, that 
and all things are being made new. The kingdom is at hand, it is coming. And that starts in you and I. The newness is that just as Jesus walks in the light, we can walk in the light. And that person by person, the darkness, it says, is receding. The true light is already shining. The darkness is passing away. The tide has turned and the light is coming. And it's coming in you and I, in us. And it's not because of our ability to perform. It's not because of our ability to get everything right. But it's because of Jesus and the fact that he is being made real. He was made real in humanity and he's being made real in us. You know, he says, um, eat my body, drink my blood, partake in me, come into my way of living. So the newness that's here is that, um, that we're part of it, that it's possible, that we can live like Jesus. And that in, in, in pockets of people, like you think about this in the context of history, this is, uh, probably, I don't know, I'm literally just guessing, but 50 odd people in this church. Um, in this little corner of the ancient world. And 2,000 years later, there's, I don't know, 2 billion Christians in the planet? Is it something like that? It's incredible. Like, actually, what God can do in and through the lives of people, stuff that is real. Like, not just ideas, not just philosophies, not just debates, but real people's lives being really transformed. That's the newness that we're still partaking in. And I say that because I think there's, there's two sort of, um, as we read about not loving the world and about the antichrists, I think there's, there's two kind of areas that I've been struggling to work out how to articulate, um, but I feel like God was putting on my heart, so I'm just going to try. Um, and the first is, is this idea of novelty. Um, and I just felt a sense of needing to reference the how easily enamored we are with novelty. And what I mean by novelty is, is newness for newness sake. So I'm, like, I think God is in the business of, like I've just been talking about, of, of recreation. I think he's making all things new, so I'm not like a Luddite that wants to destroy everything. I think what, what I see in novelty is that idea of, yeah, the value in it is because it's new and different and unique. It doesn't really matter what it is, but you like it because it's new. And that, this isn't like a blanket statement of, um, this is why I'm saying it, I'm trying to find it hard to articulate, but that sense of um, recognizing that within us there is that pull to novelty. And I think when I read this and I think about the fact that we're part of a tradition that goes back thousands of years, and it's just like, oh, there, there is depth. You know, that verse in Jeremiah that Ian McIntyre will pray over you at any opportunity. Look for the ancient paths. It's so true. Like, what is real? What is true? What is of substance? You know, when Solomon said there's, there's nothing new under the sun. There's new ways of understanding it, and there's revelation, and there's insight, and there's wisdom. That's all, it's dynamic, all that stuff the Spirit is creating. But at its essence, like, does this go back to what is what I know is a firm foundation, which is the person of Jesus. 
And so just being, and being aware that so much of our attention is garnered around novelty because we need to buy something new. Like our razors are engineered so that they go blunt after six months or whatever. They don't have to, but it's because we need something new. It's probably a rubbish example, but um, that sense of, of novelty. And then the other thing is, um, is that, whereas, you know, if I started thinking about, um, it was the word that became flesh, and it's what happens that's real. So much of discourse in our life is abstract and disembodied. It's just ideas. It's just floating around. And quite often, particularly if people are fighting about them on the internet, it's, it's, not, it's not real people. It's, it's just like, I'm just saying things because it's out there. And sorry, this is, I'm probably going to need to go back and correct a lot of this. But I think you hear in my heart in that just there is this kind of spirit of like um, of novelty and newness and just abstract and disembodied and, and stuff that's out there that's just a bit floaty. But what is what you can like build your life on, the foundation that is the rock, that is Jesus, it's the God who got dirt under his fingernails as Pete Gregg says. And so if I think just be wary of people that are throwing stuff at you that don't have skin in the game. I think that's what I'm trying to get to. And, and, and it's easy to talk about whatever issue it is in abstractions and just dis- divorce it from actual people and actual situations and how they're actually living. And I think it's really important to remember that that's how God chose to reveal himself, was to come be born in a manger, live as a carpenter for 30 years, and walk amongst people and give his message to people and then peace out. Like, that's how much he cares about what's real. And so I think just to be wary of when stuff is floating around that someone's just thrown at you for whatever reason. And we could get into the dark motives of advertising and systemic and things, but um, I think that's kind of made my point. So, um, so back to the actual passage. Um, yeah, verse 15, do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the, the assumption here is that the guys who John's going to talk about in a second, the Antichrists, have actually been um, seduced by the world. And um, again, this is, it can be a bit of a tricky idea. And I think it's hard as well, like if you think about John 3.16, you know, when Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And I, and I Obviously, that's a key scripture for everyone, but I, I always come back to that in terms of like, what's our motivation for anything that we're doing? What's our motivation for evangelism and things like that? Like, do we actually, do we actually love the world as much as God did? Because he loved it so much. So um, I think it's important to realize here that whilst it's the same word, I don't think it's not really talking about the same thing because that's talking about the people in the world. And I think you could also extend that to the physical like, like stewardship of the world in terms of like climate and all that kind of stuff, this thing that God gave us um, dominion over and stewardship over. So I think, I don't think he's talking about any of that because Christians say a lot of stupid things and you could probably um, use this to do that. Um, 
I read a quote which, which might be quite helpful. It's like, um, the world here is the system which man has built up in an effort to make himself happy without Christ. The system which man has built up in an effort to make himself happy without Christ. And I think that's, that's where maybe um, that other stuff that I was talking about earlier, that, that comes from. And it's, I think it's things that are embodied by like shortcuts or instant gratification or, and, you know, just kind of make it work for ourselves. Or possibly, um, you know, like where we put ourselves where God should be. You know, we're like, actually, I'm, I'm the one that gets to choose here. Like, I'm the, I'm the most important thing in this room. Um, and we kind of decree into our life and into others as if we're God. Or possibly even the other way around, like when we put, um, put other things where God should be, when we have idols. Yeah, in the, it's really funny, like the very last sentence of this book, like John goes on this big thing and then it just says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's like, that's the very last thing that he says. And, and all, all that stuff feels like the world. So it's the stuff that is, is, and it's set up here as the opposite to the father. So whereas the life with the father is eternal and everlasting and will never pass away, actually um, the stuff of the world, the stuff of darkness um, is sinking, is perishing. And it's like this desperate grab to sort of like get there or sort yourselves out or save yourselves. But actually the only thing that's going to last is life with the Father. So there's, there's this group of people that have been deceived by the world. And so um, I guess it's one thing to know that, but I guess in terms of making it real for us, it's just like that is, that is real. That is a temptation. That is, a, that is the air that we breathe. And so as we look to do life together and spur one another on to good deeds, we need to consider that, that there's actually an opposing system that wants our allegiance that isn't God. And it's actually becoming aware of that and talking about it and recognizing where it's in us that we can actually get change, that we can actually do something about it. Um, verse 6, 18. Children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. Um, that's a bad page for the page to change. The Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So that's a really practical example of um, what I was talking about earlier in terms of how we live sort of displays the reality of our relationship with God. Like John is saying, actually, these guys were with you, but then they did something else. And that probably is evidence to show you that they weren't ever really with you in the first place. Um, but they went out that it might be complained that they are not all of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So I think the word that jumps out in this passage uh, is antichrist. Um, it's quite a scary one, especially if you've uh, read any of the Left Behind novels or uh, had the privilege of watching that Nicolas Cage film. Um, 
And I, I, I don't want to, yeah, I don't know enough about it to, to go too much into it other than what I see here is John is talking about the fact that there is, there is the Antichrist. And I guess we need to dig into Revelation to think about that. But that actually there are many Antichrists. And, and that is the, the label that he's using for the troublemakers that, are, that have come back to stir up trouble. Now, again, Christians being Christians, um, we, it's like, great, this is a weaponized phrase that I can throw at anyone whose opinion I don't like. You are an antichrist because you uh, see things slightly differently to me. But I think it's actually really clear what an antichrist is in this passage. It is someone who is antichrist. <laughs> you know, it's a weekend and we're going away. Um, it's someone who uh, does not believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was God. So that key bit there, it's like, um, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So this, and this is kind of like at the heart of some of the biggest like battles around orthodoxy and heresy in the early church. It's like, what, who was Jesus? What does it mean that he was God? And John's saying, like, believe in what you believe from the beginning that Jesus was the representation of the Father. He was fully God and he was fully man. And actually, that has to be the case because there is no way to the Father except through Jesus. So if Jesus was not God, then you haven't seen the Father and you haven't seen Jesus. It doesn't work. And so at its essence, um, this is what those antichrists were, these people. So I don't know how that outworked in, the, in, the, in this particular instance, but it's basically stuff that cuts to the very core of what Christianity is, that Jesus was the representation of the Father. In the same way that Paul says in Corinthians, you know, if the resurrection didn't happen, what are we doing? You know, it, it's easy to sort of do, like in the clutter of Christianity, just to do stuff. But actually, if we don't believe that this man literally rose from the dead, what are we doing here? And in the same way, if we don't really believe that Jesus Christ, this person who lived in this time and was real in this flesh, if we don't believe he was actually God, then again, it all falls apart. But that's what these people were doing. And so I, I think in terms of for us, it's like um, if there's stuff from the world, if there's stuff that's novel, if there's stuff that's this abstract things, and it actually cuts to the heart of, Jesus Christ was the son of God who lived and died and resurrected again and lives in me through the Holy Spirit. Then we need to be really wary because that's the stuff that we're building our lives on. That's the stuff that is the firm foundation. And then he closes it out in verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but... The anointing that you received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So yes, there may be this threat out there. Yes, there may be a system in the world that is pulling at our allegiance. But if we abide in him, if we dwell with Jesus, it says the Holy Spirit, the anointing, 
is our teacher. He teaches you about everything. He leads us into truth. He leads us into life. If we abide in him as individuals, if we abide in him as a community, yes, this stuff is out there and it's good to know it and it's good to spot it, but ultimately he will lead us into truth. He will lead us into what is good. He will lead us into the light. And so we're kind of right back to like, if we know God, it's going to look like something. So let's know God. Recognizing that it's hard. Recognizing that we mess up. Recognizing there's distractions and disappointments and all that kind of stuff. But there is a solution in Jesus. We just, we're, the, we're called to abide and trust in him. And um, Eugene Peterson, to come back to him, he talks about discipleship as um, long obedience in the same direction. It's the continual seeking of those ancient paths. And yes, the, the seasons will come and go. There'll be mountaintops and valleys, but it's that, that direction of travel that this is, this is where I'm going. I'm following Jesus. I'm committing to him. And just like, and he also talks in the same breath about farmers. And um, he's like, like, I've never seen a farmer in a hurry. And the the reason that he gives is that there's too much work to be done to be in a hurry. And like we as people, we as a living organism, we can't fix it. We can't get it done with a teaching series. We can't get it done with whatever. We have to abide in him. And be in the seasons and be in the winter and the autumn and the spring and the summer and and take part in that rhythm of life as God takes us from glory into glory. And it's his power and it's his might and it's he is the agent of change in it. We just need to dwell. And so we're tempted to sort of exchange it for things that feel more efficient or more productive. Like we could use this tool and we can use this ministry and we can get this done. or, Or I could sort of do it quicker and actually just you know, compartmentalize my life and get my religion bit finished, over, done, and then I can move on with everything else. Like, that, uh, that is antichrist. <laughs> um, it's just that long, slow, not novel commitment. And actually, in that, Jesus brings life, and it's beautiful, and it's fun, and it's amazing, and there'll be things that we never expected, and it's not boring, it's not stale, but it's slow a lot of the time. But that's beautiful because then it lasts. There's too much work to be done to be in a hurry. Um, Let's pray. Why don't you stand? So I'm just going to use verses 12 to 14 uh, to pray over us. So um, if you just want to like close your eyes, if you want to, I'm just going to read these as, as a prayer. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And I just felt like, in the same way that John wanted to encourage 
his readers, uh, that God wants to encourage us this morning. Almost like across the expanse of experience, you know, young children, young men, fathers, young children, young women, mothers. And it might feel at times in our faith, we feel like little kids. Or we might feel like we're, and you know, we feel like we're just beginning, just taking baby steps, maybe for the 7,000th time. Or maybe it feels like we're in the thick of the battle, that stuff's raging around us. Or maybe it feels like actually, yeah, we've kind of come through some stuff and we've got some wisdom, we've got some things to share. I feel like God is just saying to all of us, well done, keep going. And if you need to come back to me like a little child, your sins are forgiven. If you feel like you're in the thick of the battle, you have overcome. And if you feel like you want to pour into the next generation, stick with what is true and what is good. So Father, I want to pray for us as a church family. That we, we would be those who are quick to come to you. And are quick to talk with one another. Father, that we would trust that, um, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That the light has come and the darkness is receding. And I just pray for every single one of us that feels like we're, that we're wrestling right now. Whether that's um, in circumstances, in relationships, in our mind, for anyone that feels like they're wrestling, I just pray, God, that they would know that you have overcome, that you are strength and you are victorious. And that's going to look like a load of different things, but um, I just pray for strength and encouragement to stand. And I pray that all of us would have the minds of fathers and mothers, that we would seek to, um, to point those coming up around us and behind us to you, to call them back to the ancient truths, to the old ways, to what is tried and tested and known to be true. And give us the hearts of parents to, to love the world around us, to invite them in, to invite them into this incredible relationship with you, Holy Spirit. So strengthen us, I pray, God. Convince us again of who you are. Thank you that you abide in us as we abide in you. And we choose to, um, to trust you and to walk with you and to live with you, knowing that you will produce fruit at the right time. So thank you so much for this church family. I pray you'd continue to, to lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless and see you soon.